This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Outside Looking In, the podcast series wherein I talk to 29 people about their team and what they think about the Raptors so that you, the listener, get to understand kind of the consensus on the Raptors from the outside looking in, i.e. the name, and so that you slowly, gradually learn about the league at large so you know everything you need to know before the season starts. Today, we have Joe Virat, who is, as far as X's and O's go, as far as breakdowns, analysis go... I know a lot of people love when I have Caitlin Cooper on this podcast, Joe in the very same vein, somebody who's just tremendous at doing it, tremendous at kind of communicating the more complex parts of the game to fans. That's his specialty. And he does a golden state of mind and SB Nation. Okay, Joe, first thing, how you doing? I am doing fantastic. I'm actually just trying to wean off on the high of covering the World Cup. That was an experience. And, you know, FIBA basketball, it's a whole different beast. And, you know, I love FIBA basketball, the joy of covering it. But you know what? I'm ready. I'm all ready for NBA basketball because, you know, that's my bread and butter. I think that's your bread and butter, too. That's, you know, if you're an NBA fan, there's a lot to be excited about. A lot of movement in terms of teams, in terms of coaching staffs. I mean, I'm sure we're going to get to talk about that with the Raptors later on, you know personnel especially the warriors you know there's one big name that just got added and yeah like you know i mean i know everyone says that you know every new nba season is going to be interesting but i feel like this one is going to be especially interesting you know in the light of you know the in-season tournament the the new player resting rules and yeah just you know the like there's no clear-cut favorite like the Nuggets, you could say, are the favorites, but, you know, I think we're far removed from the super team era where, you know, oh, Warriors with KD again this year, Warriors with KD again the next year, and anything can happen. So, you know, I'm just excited to begin the new season. Something I want to talk about, and just to indulge a lot of the Canadian listeners who are kind of tuning in, we had really great coverage from Alex Adams, who was in um, overseas covering the FIBA World Cup. He didn't go to the Philippines for that aspect of it. But you got to cover Shea up close and personal. Any highlights from covering Canada's Golden Boy in what was their best finish ever? Oh, it was just really, really great to see him in person actually do his thing. You know, TV doesn't do justice, like in terms of what he can do on the court, just the, the shift in pace, the change of direction, his craftiness, his handle, and, you know, just how he manipulates the court in all sorts of ways where you know for example in the team usa game the bronze medal game you know no matter what like which defender they threw out at him you know whether it's cam johnson whether it's mikhail bridges who got his ankle broken whether it's tyrese halliburton 
they tried switching, they tried dropping, they tried kind of, you know, that soft hedge, that level of the screen coverage. And, you know, Shea, Shea found answers to every one of them. They blitzed him, and then he found the open man, and the open man, more often than not, turned out to be Dylan Brooks, who had the tournament of his career. He shot better than Steph Curry, <laughs> Steph Curry numbers in FIBA play, you know. And, you know, like, of course, the narrative is going to be like, Team U- why didn't Team USA do this and do that? Well, they did do this and do that. And Shay, 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 you know, he's a first team all NBA talent in top five and like finished in the top five in the MVP voting. And Team USA didn't have that kind of talent, you know, like, sure, Team USA had talent across the board. But when you go up against someone like a Shay, like a Luca, where you know, they just changed the geometry and the tempo and the cadence of every half-court set they're in. Like, what can you do? You can try everything you want. It's you just tip your cap off to him. And to watch that up close and personal was a surreal experience. Uh, I hope it's not a once-in-a-lifetime experience. I, ho- I hope <laughs> to get to watch him again live. And, you know, just watching Team Canada... Like here's how how I would describe Team Canada. They merged the aspects of what Team USA, of what made Team USA historically great in international competition, the athleticism, the speed, uh, you know, how they control the tempo. But, you know, having someone like Jordi Fernandez coach them, they also have that beautiful half court, those beautiful half court sets where they have movement. They have those pattern sets. Uh they also have those hints or those flashes of 0.5 basketball. Uh, I'm sure we're going to get to talk about that too later on. And, you know, it's always been that merge where, you know, as someone who's wa- who grew up watching Team USA, you kind of want that for them to like, you know, the, the athleticism, the speed. That's fun to watch. But you also want more pattern and structure to their half-court offense. And I think Team Canada... You know, I don't think they like they have they have like a three year commitment, if I remember yep. correctly. But they also didn't have that much of a build up time too compared to the other teams. Uh, you know, say for Team USA, and to do that within that short period of time together, it's amazing, and it's also testament to how good of a job uh, Jordy Fernandez did. So you know, props to them. Uh, you can feel from their from how they talk about each other from how Jody talks about his players that they love playing for each other and they love playing for Canada for their nation. So yeah, it's just that commitment to each other, I think is the key to building that cohesion, that chemistry. Having Jordy come in like two months before they were kicking things off, taking over for Nick Nurse. I know Nate Bjorkren was there to help bridge the gap to some degree, but wow, very impressive coaching job. And as you mentioned, having Shea, the, the crazy thing about Shea through the Spain game, through Sylvania, through France, through, you know, the USA is that he didn't miss a beat down the stretch in any of those games. And going shot for shot against Ant-Man, for example, because it was split up mostly between Ant and Austin Reeves. Reeves had quite a few shots. He made plays. Ant made some. But the difference down the stretch really, of course, that was an, their incredible Bridges shot, which like, Wow. But having Shea not miss a beat, like every shot that needed to be made was made. 
every advantage that needed to be created was created. And he did it in the pressure cooker of the smaller dimensions of the FIBA four with the different rules. And he did it against defenses that were really keyed into playing to the strengths of the FIBA style. And he did it against, you know, NBA level defenders who weren't exactly, you know, having a strong FIBA style defense like America. And it's just very impressive performance. And then, as you say, having Dylan Brooks, you know, have the volume and higher efficiency than Steph Curry. I mean, it doesn't hurt and not something you can set your watch to, but certainly something you you open your arms to. Joe, the thing I want to talk about most with you, and we'll talk about the Raptors, of course, but Chris Paul is on the same team as Steph Curry and Klay Thompson and Jordan Poole, who I adore the way he plays basketball in a lot of ways. I understand why he's no longer a warrior. I get it. But. I just kind of, can you give me the rundown on the Chris Paul situation? Is he starting? How do you think he's going to be deployed? Do you think he's a good fit? All that kind of stuff. Well, Chris Paul is Chris Paul. Yeah. And historically, every team he's been on, he's made better. Mm -hmm. You know, Chris Paul is a, you know, sure, you can point to the playoffs, like they're coming up short in every playoff series he's been in. But in the, at least in the regular season, he's made winners out of teams he's been in. Uh, even the Thunder, even in that bubble season. Uh, so you can't really deny that he makes teams better. He makes an impact. And um, I have no doubts that he'll do the same with the Warriors in the regular season. Now, the question is, you know, will he, yeah, like what you said, will he be starting? Will he start off the bench? To be honest, no one knows at this point. No one knows maybe except Chris himself, maybe Steve Kerr. Um, if you ask me, starting him isn't the way. And I think most people, like, it, like most people would say this, you know, like, you shouldn't start Chris Paul next to Steph Curry. Not because of offense, because the offensive fit there, I think, is seamless. They're... Like there, there's a possibility that the two of them together, you add Clay, uh, you have Draymond there, Wiggins, you know, offensive rating might go through the roof, sure. But it's the defense that's the problem, obviously, because you can't have a six foot point guard and a six foot two point guard starting next to each other in the backcourt, not because, you know, Chris Paul is a bad defender, although he's up there, getting up there in age. Not because Steph is a bad defender. It's because you're putting a lot of pressure on your backcourt to defend at the point of attack. And then, assuming you start Chris Paul, who are you going to have at center? Draymond. Draymond is someone who easily wears down the more you put him at the five and you put more responsibilities on his shoulder guarding those big, strong guys than the Nikola Jokic's of the world, the Joel Embiid's of the world. So it's not just on the effect is kind of trickled down where you're not just putting a lot of pressure on Chris and Steph to defend. And in the process, you're tiring them out and they're not going to have much to contribute on the offensive end, especially with Steph. You're also putting a lot of pressure on Draymond and he's going to wear down. And, you know, by extension, you're also putting a lot of pressure on Clay and Wiggins. And to me, that's just untenable for 82 games in the regular season. And especially with the new resting rules, you won't have much 
leeway and luxury to rest your star players. And, you know, the obviously the best course of action is to have Chris be that super sixth man where he's going to man the second units and, you know, he's going to have, hopefully he's going to develop chemistry with the likes of a Jonathan Kaminga with, uh, you know, he already has a history with Dario Saric and, you know, someone like Chase Jackson Davis, uh, the Warriors draft, uh, drafted him in the second round where he's undersized set six, nine at the five position, but he also has this vertical athleticism and he's the only guy in the roster besides Kaminga who has above the rim capabilities. And, you know, Chris Paul, you know, he's a polarizing player in lots of circles, but especially within the Warriors. And the people have kind of accepted the fact that he's on the team, but if he starts, I think there's all, there's going to be a lot of protests within the <laughs> nation uh, for sure. And, you know, Warriors fans are passionate, but they're also smart. And they know a disaster in, like, a recipe for disaster when they see it. And I think having Chris Paul start beside Steph defensively is a recipe for disaster. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I am very excited for, I think, Kuminga playing minutes with Chris Paul is going to be really good for Jonathan. I just, I, I do like Kuminga's game a lot. I really like the fact that he can be, you know, you weaponize his motion as an above rim threat. Like one of, at his size, one of the number one above rim threats in the league as far as like mobility, catch radius, quick jumping. If Chris Paul can start to shift defenses slowly over the course of these possessions so that there's more gaps for Kaminga to attack, more space to run into and all that kind of stuff. I think um, hoping for a big year. You talked about that Thunder team that Chris Paul was on, that they were pretty good. Three guard lineups were part of it. And it was Schroeder, Shea, and Chris Paul. Schroeder moves on from there, like the sixth man stuff, to Los Angeles, turns down you know, a, a fairly big contract. I think it's going to end up, after he signed this contract with the Raptors, losing him, I think, $55, $60 million, um, turning down that contract. But signs with Boston goes to Houston, comes back to the Lakers. Now he's on the Raptors. He's the World Cup MVP. What do you think about Schroeder? We know, we just talked about, do you start Chris Paul? Do you put him on the bench? The Raptors, based on how they want to play, have a similar question, although maybe not as high stakes, about Dennis Schroeder. Start or bench? Where would you rather see him coming off of? It's a good question, actually. Um, you know, the high of the World Cup, a lot of people would say he should start, right? Right. Um, but there's also this conundrum where he's not exactly the kind of lead guard you'd want to establish your, like, you know, Darko Rajkovic. He's a, a European, he has a strong European pedigree, obviously, where he preaches uh, 0.5 basketball, ball movement, player movement. Uh the ball doesn't necessarily run through the point guard at times. There's hubs on the elbow and up top delay. Um, Dennis is not necessarily that kind of guy where you tell him to just move off the ball, keep set screens for people off the ball. Uh, he wants the ball in his hands as much as possible. Uh, if I remember correctly, I remember a stat uh, Germany with Germany and him among all guards in the World Cup, I think he had like the eighth or seventh highest usage rate. Mm -hmm. 
So Germany ran his their offense through him a lot. And, you know, if you're Ryakovich, if you're Darko, you kind of, if you're starting Dennis, do you consider kind of bending your principles a bit to cater to, to Dennis? Although, in my opinion, if you're going to bend your principles to someone like Dennis, it's got to be in the context of, will that be enough for us to succeed? Will it be enough for us to reach the playoffs, for example, or to be to get deep in the playoffs? And for a team in the Raptors position where getting to the playoffs is like kind of a like a ceiling in and of itself. It, w- it would be meaningful if they got there. Yeah, totally. it would be really meaningful. I think you have, if you're Darko, you have to kind of establish your culture and the way you want to play in your first year as head coach. And Dennis, to me, you know, I mean, you know, I like I like how he plays. Like, no offense to him, but I don't think that's the approach that you'd want to take in your first year as head coach. So, I don't also, know. Like, let me let me ask you a question: Does his performance at the World Cup impact how you view his NBA play style, his NBA performances, his impact? For me, honestly, not really. Yeah, honestly, not really. I mean, FIBA is a different game than the, NBA, yep. than the NBA. Uh the roles are going to be different. Uh, you know, never mind the, the difference in rules, the difference in physicality, the court dimensions and whatnot. I don't think it should affect how he's viewed in the NBA. I mean, give credit to him for his FIBA performance, but yep. the NBA is, you know, another thing, whole another thing. And, you know, if Dennis wants to buy in to Darko's philosophy, that's great. And, you know... You can't really know for sure until you're you see the you either see the on court product or you're involved internally in the discussion. So no one really knows except for them. But based on Dennis's history, maybe maybe I should explore. Like if I were Darko, I should explore maybe not starting him. Yeah, I think you know, um, I think the the best thing about Dennis is the fact that like he can take those on ball reps. He's he's a good guard. Like he's he's a good guard in the NBA, and he's yeah. on the mid level exception. Not many teams that have like these playoff hopes are running out their lead ball handler as a mid level exception guy. Now, of course, he can, you know, ascend past that. We talked about you know FIBA. He played very well. That's his accolade. Those are his accomplishments. That's something he'll remember forever. And like hell yeah. But the thing is that there's going to be more shooters on the Raptors bench they might be able to play a little bit more free-flowing and they won't have to be as specific about spacing as they'll have to be with that Siakam, Barnes, Pirtle front court that doesn't have as much spacing. You'll have to be really particular offensively. It it makes a lot of sense if you want to toe the line between giving Schroeder enough on-ball possession so that A, he's like happy in his role, and B, that you're leveraging his best skills you know, you put him on the bench to run with guys who need somebody on ball. Whereas in the, you know, in the starting lineup, if you're going to move off of Fred Van Vliet, if you're going to discuss Pascal Siakam in trades, and you're going to position Scotty as the future, Scotty fancies himself as a point guard of sorts. The franchise is willing to say like, hey, we'll give you a shot at it. Give him a shot at it then. Like put Scotty at point guard, 
let him run the offense. And if it turns out good, great. If you have trouble, you have recourse down the line to kind of restructure. But I think Schroeder, mid-level exception, could have a really, really strong season as the lead guard off the bench. That's that's kind of my view of it, I suppose. It's it's kind of similar to the Chris Paul situation, you know, where yeah. you kind of have, like, of course, with the starting unit, you're going to have the usual motion offense. You're going to have the .5 basketball, Steph Curry wreaking havoc off the ball. Uh, you run your offense through Dray- Draymond at the elbows in the post, et cetera, et cetera. But then you insert Chris Paul in the second unit, your offense totally changes into like a spread pick and roll where you have Kaminga setting screens, you have Dario Sharch popping out, you have, you know, Chase Jackson Davis rolling to the rim. It's kind of like that where you can have this middle ground between having your typical philosophy if you're Darko, and then you insert your lead guard in who can have lead ball handling reps and score, create. I think there's a middle ground to be to be had there. Where and a compromise too, where you know, Dennis, go do your thing with the bench. And then when Scotty and Pascal are in in this starting unit, that's where you implement your usual philosophy of movement and having Scotty be that focal point. And, you know, hopefully for Scotty, he's improved some of his scoring and his ability to be a threat as an uh, as a scorer, maybe in the post or in isolation, because that kind of advantage creation will go a long way towards your playmaking ability. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's the one thing I want to see from Scotty is being more of a scoring threat so that his playmaking abilities will, you know, will go to another level. And, you know, last season that didn't really materialize. And I think this season, that's one of the things I'm looking forward to, especially with Darko at the helm. So this was the kind of the funny thing, you know, Darko has had, as far as coaches getting hired in the NBA, upon being hired. There's not many coaches you can go listen to on podcasts about how they install an offense. There's not a lot of coaches you can listen to do like three-hour Q&As about like what they think about development, all this kind of stuff. Like the tape on Darko and his thoughts is out there. He's written articles with with Quinn Snyder like on the pick and roll. And so, but none of it covered defense. So at, you know, his introductory press conference, I asked him about the defense and he says, don't worry. You know, he says, we'll talk about the X's and O's later. But the defense is going to be good. When you look at that, you know, the nucleus of the Raptors, Pirtle, OG, Pascal, Scotty, despite not being the type of defender many people thought he might be, like this lockdown wing defender. He's more so, you know, in space, helping in rotation. Um, they had a really strong defensive finish to last season. How good defensively do you think this Raptors team will be given their personnel? I mean, it has top five potential, in my mm-hmm. opinion. But, you know, like one of the things that struck me about the Raptors defense under Nick Nurse was, you know, how willing they were to bend or break some of the traditional defensive sure. rules. Uh, in the NBA, you hear like you never help off the strong side corner. Well, we'll help off the strong side <laughs> corner and we'll still have a pretty good defense with it. And, you know, that's one of the things I love watching about the Raptors is, you know, they're not going to stick to what you think is should be done defensively, and they're still going to be good at it. Um, you know, but the thing about their defense is it also feeds into what their offense looks like, where, you know, they weren't 
they weren't necessarily the best half court offense in the league. Bottom for, five, two they years have, in yeah, a row, yeah. They haven't been the the last two years. And, you know, you're always gonna be you're you're always gonna be rushing back in transition and trying to set up your half court defense. And sure, they're good at that, but at some point you gotta have a good half court offense to, to, for the other team to keep taking the ball out of the basket. And I think that'll take their defense to another level if they improve their offense. Um, you know, like I think if I remember correctly, they have one of they had one of the highest corner three rates last season. Oh yeah, uh, opponent, opponent corner three rates. And, you know, to me, I think that's the one metric I'm looking out for. If they reduce the number of corner threes that opponents take, I think that's a huge improvement. Um, You know, Darko, uh, you know, I don't necessarily know what his philosophy is going to be on defense. But I think for me, it's safe to say that he's not going to be the as adventurous as Nick Nurse in terms of helping off the corners, yep. in terms of being aggressive. Um, but, you know, if they if he wants them to be aggressive, they have the institutional knowledge to be aggressive. And I think having that kind of, those kinds of players where you have, for me, Jakub Pertl, having him is the, key to, is the key to unlocking your half-court defense because he just, like, I'm looking to see if they play more conservative coverages, and I think Jakob is the key to that. He can play a job. He can go up to the level of the screen. Uh, he can protect the rim. So I think having him, they can afford to be more conservative with their coverages. They won't have to be in rotation as much. Um, but, you know, that's just me assuming that Darko will play cons- mostly conservative coverages. So... You really don't know what you're gonna, what we're gonna see until Darko does his thing on the court, until we see the on-court product. So that's the, one of the things I'm that I'm excited to see. That was um, when I asked him. When I asked him about it, he mentioned like his tenets. He said, "We're gonna protect the rim. We're going to limit corner threes, and that's you know that's kind of where he went. It seems um, a lot more traditional in that you want to keep the shots above the break for weaker shooters." And you want to funnel stars into the mid range with a good rim protector in between them. And to to his credit, Nick Nurse, despite you know getting fired, and you know I talked with Jackson Frank about you know his future with Philadelphia. That'll be another episode, obviously. But um, the Raptors, once they got Pirtle last year, I think they were fifth or sixth in defensive rating from then on till the end of the season, and they did allow less corner threes. And they were a lot better defending the paint, as you know. You could surmise, you would assume what happened once you replace the collection of Barnes, Siakam, you know, Achua, like these types of guys with Pirtle. And I think that for the first time in a long time, the Raptors will have, as you say, the institutional knowledge to go to some of the more aggressive blitzing packages for however long that time. They'll be able to play some zone but they'll have a strength in the more conservative packages. And really good defenses in the NBA aren't one note. They can do a few different things. And the Raptors, despite having really good defensive stretches in both of the last couple of years, underperformed their defensive talent on the whole because they were one more 
they were one note types of defenses um to to get to the offensive side of the ball you know they're gonna have to get out in transition they're going to have to offensive rebound a lot despite Darko Ryakovich being the new coach and he's going to implement things he believes that maybe Nick Nurse didn't and he's going to change things that Nick Nurse did that he does still the the personnel on the roster points towards at, at least some overlap there like the offensive rebounding but you know as an X's and O's guy what would you like to see them lean on for that advantage creation because as you mentioned the Warriors are it's it's Steph Curry's offense, yes, but Draymond Green is like, you know, checking the boxes like, okay, this is here, now we do this. I make the decisions here. You know, Steph Curry makes it go, but it's like Draymond's driving the car through, I don't know. I don't, I don't have to create an analogy for it. It's fine. But what are you trying to do to make it easier for Scotty Barnes to be like the checklist guy who makes the right pass at the right time on target the same way that Draymond does as he's been one of the best playmaking bigs in NBA history. Well, I already mentioned the fact that Scotty kind of needs to improve as a scoring threat. Um, but it's also a two-way street uh, where, you know, if like if you're going to implement a motion offense or in 0.5 basketball and an offense where you're not necessarily going to have the ball in your guard's hands, but someone who's in the low post and on the elbows, you kind of have, you kind of want the other players to keep moving themselves where, you know, they set screens, they make themselves available at all times. And they just, they don't just stand there and stare at, you know, for example, Scotty or Pascal trying to create in the post. Um, you know, like Darko, you know, that's why I like where I draw the parallels between Darko and Steve Kerr, where, you know, it's it's not an apples for apples comparison. Darko doesn't have a Steph Curry in his first year as a head coach, but you kind of want the buy-in to be there right away where you tell your players, come on, like we have to work as a team. And I guarantee you, if we work as a team, if you set a screen for this person, like Dennis, if you set a screen for this person, he's going to, Scotty's going to find you on those slips, on those cuts. Or if you pop out, he's going to find you in the corner or on the wing. And, you know, Scotty, if, you know, you like to pass, I guarantee you, if Dennis sets the screen or if Pascal sets this, I don't know, like snug ball screen for you in the post, you're going to have an easier time creating advantages and you, it's either you're going to score. It's either someone on the opposite opposite corner is going to be there. Um, and then maybe someone else, maybe for example, auto set a hammer screen on the weak side corner. And then if you set a hammer on the weak side corner, the defense is going to collapse on the corner shooter and you're going to pop out toward the wing and you'll be open. And so for me, it's just the messaging. Darko is going to is going to approach like the kind of messaging that he wants uh, to tell his players. Hey, everyone's going to eat. I guarantee you, if you have the ball in your hands, you're going to eat. Whether it's an assist, whether it's a score, and then if you have the ball in your hands, that'll empower you more to play defense on the other end. So, you know, it's for me, it's just how like the Steve Kerr experience where 
he preaches energy. Like having the, the ball is figuratively a ball of energy. And the more people that get to touch the ball, the more that energy gets transferred and spread around. So, you know. Well, that, there was that the great Raptors, Steph Curry quote where he was like, the worst thing you can do is stand still. Yeah, Always the worst thing do you can something. Do stand still. Yeah. Yeah. So for me, the Raptors, you know, they have they have problems. Like they have problems, like other problems to solve, like shooting, yeah. spacing. Uh but you know, for someone for someone who's like a rookie, like a rookie head coach, first first year trying to implement his philosophy within the team, I think that shouldn't be a problem that you you're worried worried with initially. It's trying to implement your system and trying to make your players buy into what you want to try to do. And if Darko does that to a pretty reasonable degree in his first year, I think that will be a success. And everything that comes with that is gravy. It's a bonus. So, you know, if you're Darko, if you just want to, like, if you're 0.5 basketball, everyone keep moving. If you manage to do that, like, if there's like a metric that, displays that success whether it's passes per game assists per game and whatnot then i think i think that's a good way to start your tenure as head coach there was i understand the rationale for why the raptors like i didn't like how the raptors played offense but i understand why with the limited amount of shooting and the amount of offensive rebounding they wanted to go for why they positioned themselves as like we're led by pascal and will attack open spaces off of the doubles and gaps he receives. And so be really intentional about like shaping up off the ball as shooters and prepare for offensive rebounding. But it seems like the inherent advantage that wasn't ever, you know, tackled or used by the Raptors was the fact that if you have a litany of six, eight and up guys who all register as above average to elite finishers and can offensive rebound once they're going downhill is that why isn't there more work being done to get these guys downhill? It doesn't have to be from eight feet and in, but like on the catch from 17 feet and in downward motion, putting pressure on the defense like that. There wasn't a lot of cutting. There's not a lot of movement in the Raptors offense in the Nick nurse, like only when Kyle Lowry was there because Kyle Lowry was, you know, the orchestrator, like the maestro, the genius who ran perfect offense everywhere he went. Like the it would manifest in the shot chart. It would manifest in the efficiency. It would manifest in everybody's stat lines. But once he left, it was pretty rote. It was pretty basic. And, you know, if you have guys like Precious Sachua, Scotty Barnes, OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, even Yaka Pirtle, who's really strong in the short mid-range with these pop shots, and then obviously... His footwork to get to layups is tremendous. Why you don't have more guys catching in motion downhill, even with the spacing problems, that was always something that I was kind of like, I don't understand why this isn't used as much. And I think that if they're going to you know, punch above their weight offensively, the cutting and finishing off of cuts and that breeding that motion throughout, that'll be something that definitely helps motivate more wins on that end of the floor. That's something I... I just really hope to see. Last thing I want to talk about with you is the Warriors. We talked about it. You know, they were the defending champs when we talked last year. They 
I don't think their championship window has closed. Some people think it has. But of course, some people had no idea it would happen in 2022. How do you feel about the championship window right now? I think it's there. I think it's still there. I mean, the key the key has always been Steph Curry. Mm-hmm. For me, as long as you can build a team around Steph Curry and that contingent that is contingent on the fact that Steph is still, you know, at 35 years old, he's still one of the top three players in the NBA on any given night. He can be the best player in the NBA. You know, the, they revolve around Steph Curry. And once that ship tries, like, starts to break down, then maybe that's when you can say, oh, like, you know, maybe it's time to close the book on this Warriors fran- Warriors dynasty. So, so Curry, Curry is a contention window in himself. Like, that's yes. The, yeah. I mean, once you have like an all time great and top three NBA talent like that, yeah, like, that's a no brainer. He's the guy that will take you to the title if you surround him with the pieces that he needs to take you there. And, you know, that's not to take away from Clay and Draymond, who, you know, they didn't necessarily have, like, Clay didn't have the best playoffs last season, but he had a good regular season, you know, like, he shot really well. He shot arguably the best regular season of his career. Draymond, his offensive, his scoring is, isn't trending up, and I yeah. don't think it'll trend up, but he's still one of the best. defenders out there in the league you know like one fact one stat that stood out to me with Draymond is that he was third in opponent rim rim field goal percentage and the only ones that beat him are Brooke Lopez and Jaron Jackson Jr. He's incredible I just the way Draymond has figured out to continue impacting defense at like you can see his athleticism completely sapped especially by the way that he won't fill offensive gaps or pressure the rim because he's just like, I can't do it. But the fact that he still navigates that lack of pop defensively to the point where he's one of the best people at blowing up, you know, at the like screen coverage stuff. He's one of the best help side defenders. And he's one of the best, like if he's stepping up to the nail, I don't know how he does it, man. He's got a wingspan. Yeah. But geez, he he is a wizard. Yeah. Close my mind. Like, uh, you know, like to me, Draymond is the litmus test of people's knowledge of basketball. Sure. Like, you know, if if you think Draymond is like, you know, still one of the best in terms of defender the defensive versatility out there, then to me, you know, ball. You know, it's fair it's fair to knock him on his offense, but you know, you can't deny that he still contributes a lot of impact on the defensive end of the floor. And but yeah, that's that being said, the the three of them they're not exactly getting any younger. Um, you know, they have around two to three good years left in them, and this Chris Paul experiment really it's gonna it's gonna say a lot about them this season how they handle that experiment. So, you know, at the end of the day, the bottom line is with the Warriors, it's Steph Curry and how long he can go. And everyone else around him, how they can continue to be those kinds of supporting uh, roles, how how they can contribute to winning a championship. And, you know, this season, I would place them just outside of the top tier 
maybe if you place the Nuggets and maybe the Suns as the best of the best in the West, the Warriors are just on the cusp of that. They're they're from the outside peeking in, and they can easily if if they have a good start to the season season they can easily break that barrier and insert themselves into the conversation. Um, but as easily as they can break into that top tier, they can also as easily fall sure. far from it because you know Steph is. 30, turning 36, he can be injured. Chris Paul, too. Draymond, is, Draymond breaks down easily the more you put pressure on him, as we talked about earlier. Clay, uh, you know, he's he's had two lower leg injuries. And he's turning 30, and I think he's already 33 years old. So, yeah, like, if your biggest stars, if your biggest contributors are all north of 30, that's not exactly... Uh, it's not you don't exactly have the luxury of time. Well, with that being said, are you disappointed with the draft, the recent draft history? That was it, three lottery picks, obviously Wiseman being second. Like that, they haven't been able to replenish. Not not any one of the maybe Kaminga this year. Let's cross our fingers. I like his game a lot, but not one of those guys has been able to step in and cement themselves as like I'm such a staunch part of this rotation starter or otherwise that I help motivate winning minutes with and without these aforementioned stars like they haven't gotten really anything meaningful in impact what have you made of their I guess recent drafting yeah I mean you can't sugarcoat it I mean their draft history recently has been subpar uh the Wiseman the Wiseman gamble it didn't exactly work out not not you know, it wasn't all his fault. I mean, circumstances had like in COVID, injuries in his rookie year. So you know, they kind of did have some bad luck in terms of that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, they could have done much better, in my opinion. Um, you know, you like the two timeline thing that's that has been discussed to death. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, suffice to say that did not work out. Uh, the only timeline that they needed to worry about was the current timeline they're in, the Steph Curry timeline. Um, was it, was that a the bit opinion? Was that, that a bit greedy, do you think? I like, think so, especially the have it both pick. ways. I think, yeah. I mean, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know, but yeah. yeah, I think looking back, that was kind of like ambitious and greedy of, uh, Joe Lacob, I, I think Wiseman was a Lacob pick. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, the, the the good thing about, you know, the the front office, the ownership is that they, they're not afraid to, you know, cut loose to admit that they kind of went wayward on one approach and then kind of recalibrate in turn towards uh, the opposite, the opposite way, the opposite approach. So you know, that experiment did not work out. The two-timeline thing didn't work out. Uh, maybe the most successful person that they drafted that could be a bridge to that, the two eras, so to speak, or kind of contribute now is Kaminga, as you said, and also Moses Moody. I have to shout out Moses Moody because he's turning into a very promising player, uh, shown some flashes last year uh, in help defense and in individual defense. Uh, one-on-one defense, which is kind of the thing where it kind of stonewalls him a bit in terms of his ability as a defender, but he's improving. Uh, he, the surprising thing about Moody is he's kind of the same 
has the same dimensions as Draymond. He's six hmm. six, and he has a seven one wingspan, which is exactly what Draymond has. So he has a lot of potential as a defender. Um, the three point shooting is coming along well. He shot the ball well last season. Um, and it's for me, it's just a matter of putting them on the floor. And you know, Steve Kerr, I think rightfully so, kind of got some flack for not putting Moses Moody enough on the floor. Uh, for put, not putting Kaminga on the floor at times, although some of it was justified because Kaminga didn't exactly have the best playoffs last season. So, but yeah, I'm looking forward to them spent like seeing more time on the floor, especially Kaminga with Chris Paul. Uh, you know, Moody and Kaminga, I think, were kind of the two that you know, if if you were gonna describe the two timelines, it's kind of like a a train wreck then Moody and Kaminga were the only two to come out of that alive and breathing. And we all thought it was going to be Jordan Poole, but obviously that ship sailed and the punch didn't help a lot. Sure. Yeah, you know, you can't deny that the punch affected a lot of what he was trying to do last season and also the team morale. So, you know, hopefully this season uh, is more of a clean slate, can start anew. And, you know, there's hopefully we won't hear of any controversies in training camp or anything leading up to opening night. And that's what I'm excited to see, to watch, uh, to see if that Chris Paul experiment can work. And I think personally, I think it'll work better than most people. It'll work better than most people think. I'm not exactly sure if it's enough to take them all the way. There's a good chance it will. But if things click, if things fall, like if luck is on their side, kind of like, kind of like how they started the championship year 21-22, where they got off to a good start in the first 20 games, then yeah, uh, they have a pretty good chance of making it all the way. I think that the, the thing is, though, is I understand why people would initially scoff at the Chris Paul thing is because the Warriors weren't necessarily trading from a point of strength there. So you assume that what you're getting back, and I don't know, the dialogue really turned on Chris Paul. I like I, I talked with Aaron Edwards about the Suns, and there were a couple jokes at Chris Paul's expense. You know, a lot of it about transition layups, pace of play, etc. But I, as you mentioned off the top of the podcast, just Chris Paul wins minutes and wins games and you hope that that translates for the Warriors. And Chris Paul, like some players that talented who've played that well for that long, they can have renaissances in the twilight of their career. Like they can just figure it out. We see it with role players, but we also see it with stars. This this could be like maybe the last two or three years of Chris Paul's career. Maybe there is a slight shift to more of the the Golden State style of play while still having Kerr and you know Co kind of appease some of his ball handling wants um, with more of, I expect the same way you do like off the bench stuff. Um, any parting shots before we get out of here, Joe? Um, yeah. Like, you know, um, last season I watched a lot of Raptors basketball and, you know, I mean, can't help but be disappointed at with their performance last season. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're going to be on my league pass what my league pass list too this season just because of how Darko Rajkovic, his philosophy 
uh, especially on the offensive end, is very, very similar to what the Warriors are do, have been doing for the past decade. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to watching the Raptors do their thing, how they uh, navigate the new coaching staff, how Scotty improves as a player. Um, also monitor Pascal Siakam because he might be a future warrior. <laughs> uh, you know, but he would uh, he he next to Curry is that's very that's seamless. Yeah. I think, yeah, yeah. But jokes aside, yeah, yeah. Like you know, I'm just looking forward to the NBA season. Uh, you know, we've like especially the Warriors. Like you're not used to the Warriors bowing out of the playoffs early. So kind of had more time to like uh, be more relaxed in terms of coverage and to have no Warriors basketball for months is not a common, hasn't been a common feeling. So I'm looking forward to watching and covering the Warriors again. And, you know, the NBA, I think for me, nothing beats the NBA. The FIBA is nice, but there's nothing like the NBA. So just really looking forward to opening night and covering the NBA and just be as a basketball fan, just watching the best basketball in the world, you know, Mm -hmm. be played. Uh, Noah Lyles, shout out. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I mean, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to the NBA season. Yeah, man. It's the last 10 years. You can't get close to telling like 60% of the NBA story without mentioning the Warriors. It's just, their their fingerprints have been all over everything. They dominated the first half with, you know, LeBron fitting in just a smidge, the Raptors fitting in just a smidge. And then even in the era of in, incredible parody, the Warriors and Curry, they still find a way to get back in there and they might do it again this season. I'm really, you know, you talk about watching the Raptors a lot this season. I'm sure we'll have a mid-season check-in. I'll make sure I see quite a bit of the the Warriors as well so it can be a more conducive conversation joe thank you so much for your time listeners thank you for tuning in i hope you enjoyed it lots more of these to come and uh shout out to everybody i hope you have a safe night safe morning whenever you're getting into it we'll see you